The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. May be seated for the readings. A reading from Isaiah 51, 1 through 6. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you are hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands, they hope for me, and, they w and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Romans. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how good it is for us to be together and to proclaim together that you are the Son of the living God. We celebrate that you are with us today, that you speak to us through your word, through your spirit. Pray, Lord, that we would have ears um, to hear and uh, hearts to receive all you want to teach us. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. And you can be seated. Thank you all for being at the nine o'clock service this morning. Whenever we move back to two services, there's always the question, will anyone come to the nine? But then some, now there are a lot of people here. Now I'm like, will anyone come to the 1045? So this is the anxiety we, we feel as we make the move. But again, we're so glad you're here. It's nice to have a little more space, um, although it was also fun to be as crowded as we have been um, this uh, summer. Um, and children, welcome. Um, uh, for this Sunday and the next Sunday, we don't have our usual uh, children's uh, ministry time. So we're very thankful for um, kids at perhaps are usually in that time, to be with us uh, during this time. Uh, you are welcome, and we're glad you're here. And actually, I want to start with a few questions uh, for uh, the children. The response will just be the raising of a hand, um, although if you really want to shout something out, um, you can, um, but uh, uh, it's a little harder to do that in this context. Um, but I want to think about um, things that uh, parents um, tend to say that are sort of universal among uh, parents. Uh, it seems like, you know, even sort of across ages, there just seems to be certain things things that parents always um, say. I want to hear maybe if your parent has ever um, said this, if you've ever um, heard this before. So let me start with uh, one of my um, favorites. There's food at home. Um, I love saying that. I love saying to my kids, now that my kids are older, it's there's coffee at home. Why would we pay $5 for coffee when we have very good coffee um, at home? So kids, do you ever, does, does any other parent ever say that? Do you ever hear this food at home? Anyone? Okay, I see some adults. Oh, there we go. Okay, good. All right, Susie, I'm glad I'm not. Oh, there we go. I see some. Okay, good. There's food at home. Okay, along the, the food lines, what about um, uh, don't spoil your dinner? Or like, be careful about snacks, you'll spoil your dinner. Do parents still say that? All right, okay, good. All right, good. All right, that was my mom's favorite one. I hardly ever spoiled my dinner, but still, she always warned me. Um, okay, what's my next one? Oh, okay. Certain long lines, you, uh, don't forget fill in the blank. Uh, don't forget your hat, don't forget your water bottle, don't forget your lunch. Do you get that a lot? Don't forget? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, good. That's when I ask my daughter. I'm like, what's the one that drives you the most crazy? She's like, every day, don't forget your jacket, you know? And um, uh, okay, final one. Um, 
do your parents ever respond when you ask them a question with the term, not yet? Do your parents ever say, not yet, to you? Yeah, all the time, all right? You know, when are we going to eat? When are we going to leave? When are we going to go home? When are we going on vacation? When is it going to be Christmas? Right? Not yet. Um, I will tell you uh, uh, a little secret. Adults also oftentimes hate hearing the answer, not yet. Um, maybe sometimes that's a good answer, right, <laughs> to certain questions. But in general, right, we don't like to wait. And so to be told not yet is often extremely frustrating for us, right? Is, is our food ready yet? Not yet. You know, I find myself anxious at restaurants when I see other people getting food and where I'm still waiting, right? Or even if you're waiting for maybe bad news or potential bad news, right? When you hear not yet, right? Do you know yet the results of this test? Not yet. It can be extremely hard. Right? We, we, in general, I would say, don't like waiting. Don't like that response. You need to wait longer. There's a theological term, and many of you are familiar with, that's often used in response, or sort of in describing this time period that we are in, in regards to God's saving work and how God is at work in the world. Oftentimes, we'll talk about this time period as a time of already, not yet. In regards to God's saving work, we have already been saved through the work of Christ. The kingdom is already here. The kingdom of God is breaking in, and we can experience God's power and God's truth now. But the kingdom is not yet fully here. Right? Our world is still affected by sin, by fallenness. Right? The full healing that we have in the Lord is not yet fully here. We still suffer from sickness, from death, right? The resurrection of the body that we look forward to is not yet here. And that not yet at times can be very difficult, right? It's part, again, of the Christian life of saying, I've received so much from the Lord, but there is more I am longing for. And again, sometimes maybe that's a good longing, a, a joyful longing. Sometimes it can be a painful longing. As we hear from the Lord, not yet. We see that in the book of Revelation, actually when the Lord says to the martyrs, not yet. More is to come, right? My, my work is not completed, right? And the Lord's work will never be completed, but the fullness of salvation is not yet here. And you need to wait in longing. You need to continue to endure. You need perseverance in this season. In our passage uh, today, we're continuing in the, the book of Romans. We have the second part of Romans 11, the first part uh, Joel preached on last week. Um, uh, we see Paul speaking of something that's to come. He's looking forward in anticipation. And so I believe it speaks to us in this not yet time. How do we live in the not yet? And basically, I just have two points in how we live in the not yet. We live in hope and we live in wonder. I believe those two things are captured in this passage as Paul continues to, to um, continues a theme, basically, that began really all the way back in Romans 9. So if you look at our passage, right, let's first, again, we live in hope. And what is Paul speaking about here? How does that speak to, you know, what's his hope here? What's our hope? What does it mean to live in hope? And so, again, if you were here last week, if you've been with us in this series, um, last week, um, Joel spoke to, uh, again, the first part of this passage, and there's an image that was used in that passage of an olive tree, right? An olive tree, it seems like, um, and again, as uh, Joel said last week, sometimes it's a little hard to know, okay, exactly what does this represent? But it seems like the olive tree, right, is representing basically the family of God, right? Belonging to God, um, being part of his saving work. And Paul basically says this olive tree um, obviously began with the Jewish people, right? With the nation of Israel, the people of Israel who were called, right? To be the people of God and to represent God to the world, who God worked in, among those people in a very unique and special way. And basically he says, those Jewish people who have not put their faith in Christ, 
who have not accepted him as the Messiah are like branches, right, that have been broken off because of their unbelief. And then he says, and those Gentiles, those non-Jewish people who have put their faith in Jesus are actually like branches, like wild branches that have now been grafted into this tree. All right, so he's giving that imagery, right? There are those, right, who are part of the, again, the Jewish people who have rejected the good news of, this, of, of Jesus, right? And again, like broken off branches. But he says this, then at the very end of that passage, he says, for if you, speaking to the Gentiles, so the non-Jewish people, if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these the natural branches, speaking of the Jewish people, be grafted back into their own olive tree. So he ends on this hopeful note. Yes, there's been a breaking off. There have been branches that have been broken off and removed. But how much more will they be brought back in? How much more will they be grafted back into their own olive tree? So he's looking forward to something. And we get more information here. What is he looking forward to? Right? What, what is he talking about this how much more? So look at this passage, and he says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers and sisters, we can add, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Mystery, right, um, oftentimes we use that as something that doesn't make any sense, right? That's a mystery. In the scriptures, in general, in the New Testament, when mystery is used, and it comes up a few different places, it has the idea of something that was hidden that is now revealed, Right? Now, again, sometimes it's revealed, although the fullness of it is not revealed. So there's still an element of mystery around the mystery. Right? But it's not saying this doesn't make any sense. He's saying this is a revelation. This is something that actually, again, God has shown now that was hidden. And he's saying there's a mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. What does he mean by that? It means a hardening of their heart. Basically, a hardening, again, of an openness to receive uh, the Messiah and believe in Jesus. But it's a partial hardening. Because again, many of the Jewish people have come to faith in Christ, including Paul himself. So he's acknowledging, right? This isn't full, but it's partial, right? Not as many as certainly he had hoped for. He talks about his heartbreak earlier in chapter 9, that not more of the Jewish people have come to faith in Christ. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So until means he's saying, this won't be the case always. I'm looking forward to a time where this will change, right? We, this is, again, the mystery that has been revealed, right? There's an until here, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, until this season, right, where we see many more non-Jewish people, Gentiles, coming to faith in Christ than Jewish people. It's interesting, actually. There's something very similar that Jesus says in Luke 21. He talks about a suffering that will come upon the Jewish people. He talks about it with heartbreak. Of course, Jesus is Jewish, right? These are his people, and he's heartbroken as he speaks of this coming suffering. But then he says, right, until the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. So Jesus says something very similar, right? There's this time of the Gentiles, of sort of the incoming of the non-Jewish people into the faith, into the kingdom. But he speaks of it as a time that will be fulfilled, right? And so, again, similar to what Paul is saying here. So he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In the verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. What does that mean? Right, well, there's a lot of debate about that, right? And you can study it and see different ways that people understand that. But a couple things that are important. What does he mean by Israel here? Actually, we see in the book of Romans, right, he uses Israel in a few different ways. Sometimes he uses Israel to speak of anyone who has put their faith in Christ, right, put their faith in the living God, is part of the people of Israel, 
right? And so he actually says to non-Jewish people, there's a way in which Abraham, right, the father of the Jewish people, is also your father because he's the father of faith, right? And so if you've put your faith in the Lord, in the living God, then you are a child of Abraham by, by faith, right? Maybe not by, you know, lineage, um, but because you share the faith of Abraham, right? But in this situation, right, because of the context this is in, where he's speaking very specifically, using Israel to speak of the Jewish people, right, the people of Israel, right, that seems to be the way he's using it here. In this way, all Israel, right, the, the, the Jewish people will be saved. The other question then is, what does that all mean? Does this mean every Jewish person will come to a saving faith um, in Christ? Well, it seems that this is contradicting, if that's what he's saying, to what he has acknowledged earlier, which there's many who have not responded in belief in Christ, right? He talks about, sadly, heartbreaking, these branches being like broken off branches because of their unbelief, right? And again, in general, right? Clearly, the message of the scriptures, we see this so clearly in the book of Romans, is we're justified, right, through faith, through receiving the saving work of the Lord, through trusting in him. But there's a way in which all is used, again, in the scriptures to mean many, right? Sometimes all, again, is, is more, you know, all sorts of people, um, uh, a huge group. Um, actually, we use um, all um, sometimes in a similar way, right? In the sense that we may say, you know, everyone's going to see the movie Barbie, right? I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard people say, everyone's going to see that movie, right? It's super popular, right? We're suggesting, right, um, that we're using everybody in the sense of a lot of people. And um, I think that's the way, again, there's lots of debate about this passage, but what I hear and what many would say Paul is saying here is he's saying there is a time coming when many of the Jewish people, a, a, a huge number, will come to faith, that there will be a revival, in a sense, of faith in Jesus. Now, this, this actually isn't many places in Scripture, so that's why there's some debate here, um, but that, again, seems to be clearly what he's saying. This is what I'm looking forward to. This is the mystery that is being revealed, this coming revival, this coming uh, sort of return to faith and acceptance of Jesus. So this is a mystery, right, that, that's been revealed, but then he backs it up and says, let's look at what sort of backs up this truth, what backs up this hope. And so he follows it right away by saying, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So he looks at scripture, of course he does, right? This is Paul, right? And so he looks at God's word and he says, God's word backs us up, right? And so for instance, um, this is actually two passages um, from Isaiah sort of combined um, together, right? But the deliverer, clearly he's speaking of Christ. The Messiah will come from Zion and will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob is another um, title, name that's used for, for Israel. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So he's reading Isaiah and he's saying, look, the covenant will be kept. Jesus has come for the forgiveness of sins, and that will come in power to the, to the Jewish people, to Jacob, this trust in the Messiah. Right? And then he um, goes on. So again, he looks at Scripture, but then he looks at the faithfulness of God. He says, right, they are beloved, speaking of the Jewish people, for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Right? They can't be taken back. Again, there's some mystery in this, right? How do we understand this in light of him, you know, talking about, you know, the rejection um, uh, that many of the Jewish people, um, again, at this time, at least had, you know, um, had of the Messiah, right? But what he's saying is, right, God keeps his promises, right? The, the gifts, the work that God has done among his people, right, is still at work, and we can still look forward to the fullness of that happening. Again, what exactly this looks like, we don't know for sure, 
but he's emphasizing God is faithful. God has given gifts. God has worked, and his work is not done. We've seen that in a few different places in chapters 9 through 11, and he keeps coming back again and again, right? God's still working, right? Don't, don't think that this is completed, right? We're still in the middle of this. The story is still being written, and the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So the faithfulness of God, and then he speaks of the mercy of God. Look at verses 30 and 31. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, reminding them, right? You, you know, you Gentiles have come to faith in Jesus. At one time you were disobedient, but now you've received mercy. And you've actually received mercy in a way because of the rejection um, that many of the Jewish people had against the, the, the Messiah. Now the good news has gone to you. So they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So in two verses, we have mercy repeated four times, right? Mercy, mercy, mercy. The end of the story is mercy. God's plan as it's unfolding, the, the sort of ultimate goal is mercy. That's where everything is pointing because God is full of mercy. And so again, like I said, I mean, we know Paul is heartbroken over what he's seen, but he's remembering God is merciful. God will continue to bring his mercy. His desire is that all would receive that mercy and accept that mercy. So if we sort of pull out a little bit here and say, okay, so Paul's speaking again of the, the hope, the, the vision, the revelation that he's seen in the scriptures that he's received from God, of God's work among the Jewish people. What does this mean for us as we're called to live in hope? Right? And I think in this specific thing, that very important specific thing that Paul's speaking of, we can also receive from this and say, well, how do we live in hope? Right? How do we live in hope in that not yet? Especially when we're, you know, struggling to persevere, when we're facing suffering, when we're in a place to say, God, I, I, I don't even see how you're at work in this world, right? How do I continue to trust and hope in you? And again, I think like uh, Paul does here, right, and the Holy Spirit through Paul, we too can say, let's look at Scripture. Let's look at the Word of God. Let's remember the faithfulness of God. Let's remember the mercy of God. So as we struggle, right, to live in the not yet, right, we can read the scriptures and, and see how God has worked in the past. And remember, this is the same God who we worship, right? I think of, you know, in our Good Friday service where we reflect on the death of Jesus. And I'm always struck at that moment at the despair, right, the despondency that the disciples felt, right, as they saw Jesus led off to go to his death, right, as they abandoned him and ran away from him in his moment of need, right, that they were thinking this is the worst thing ever that could happen, right? This is the darkest moment of all history. In one sense, it is. But we also know, right, it is the victory of God, that Jesus was dying in our place, that he was defeating sin and death. And so we can read that with our perspective and say at that darkest moment, actually God was bringing life. Right, through his death. Right, we have hope, right? Because we know the rest of the story. We know the truth of the resurrection, right? We know the promises of God. And there's so many places, right? When we think of the Israelites waiting and waiting and waiting to be set free from slavery in Egypt. Right, we remember, oh, we're too waiting. We can relate to those stories. We can relate to that truth, right? We got to be in the word of God to live in hope. For the word of God gives us hope. Right? We live in the faithfulness of the Lord, certainly in God's word, right, as we see his faithfulness, but also as we share with one another and we remind each other of God's faithfulness. Right? That's part of how we live in hope, actually. It's why we need the church. We need community to help us remember to build one another up. 
There are seasons, right, where I need to hear the testimonies from others. There are seasons where I need to share my testimony. Usually it's both, right, that we, we need to remind one another and be reminded by one another. God is faithful. And part of my job, actually, is often hearing people share their stories, and it is awesome, right? I encourage you. Ask people, right? Tell me your story. Tell me how God's worked in your life. Tell me how you came to faith in Christ. It builds us up. In my few times of uh, traveling uh, to Africa, mainly uh, Kenya, right? I've just seen among Christians there that testimony is so key, right? In church services and teachings, right? People constantly share their testimonies, not just of how they originally came to faith in Christ, right? But how God's worked in that week. And we need that, right? Reminders um, uh, being built up, building one another up, that God is faithful. And then that the Lord is mercy, and full of merciful. Uh, he is merciful. He is full of mercy. He pours out his mercy. And again, when we're struggling to live in hope, when we're in that place of not yet and struggling with that, it is hard to remember God's mercy. But, you know, Paul is just giving such a strong emphasis, right, that all may be consigned to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Now, sadly, some reject that mercy, right, and do not receive that mercy, but the Lord seeks all to receive that mercy, right? He pours out his mercy and all who will receive that and, and, and know that mercy. As I said in a sermon a, a few weeks ago, earlier in this summer, if we ever find ourselves thinking that we are more merciful than God, if we ever find ourselves thinking, I need to correct God, he's not merciful enough, right? We know that our image of God, right, is, is off. Now, again, at times we see in the Psalms, we see prayers in the scriptures of people struggling with believing the mercy of God. And so it's understandable that we struggle with that, right? And God understands that and basically tells us through his word, I know that you struggle with believing I'm merciful. But at the end of the day, we stand in that truth. He is merciful. Even when it seems like he's not, we know that he is. So again, as we struggle to live in hope, we have the scriptures, we have the faithfulness of God, we have his mercy. So we live in hope and we live in wonder. Right, and um, verses basically 30, or starting verse uh, 33 there, we see the wonder, the praise that Paul ends with. And so 9 through 11, many people view this as sort of the ending of, you know, the section 9 through 11 um, in the book of Romans. And in this section, again, Paul has struggled with, right? I see my people, the Jewish people, rejecting um, the Messiah and yet I see God working through this rejection. Even as while I'm heartbroken about it, I see actually God using that. And I believe and trust, and he has revealed to me that there's a coming revival among the Jewish people, right? That's coming at some point. And so we have these sort of things that we're like, wait, wait, that, what does that mean, right? And then we have, you know, this emphasis on God's sovereignty. God is working his plan out. And yet Paul never denies human responsibility, right? We're called to respond in faith, right? Even in the passage before this, he talks about, remember the severity of God. Right? Remember that right, to reject his mercy is a serious thing. And so we have these different ideas, right? And maybe we could respond to this like, oh, it's just too much and it's too confusing and I just can't figure it out. Right? We could respond with, ah, I just have enough of these things. But what's Paul's response? What is he modeling to us? The response is actually how awesome God is, how unsearchable he is, how beyond my ways he is. Right? That's the response. At times when we're like, God, I can't figure out you out, you know, we should say, praise God. Right? I worship a God I can't figure out, who is so much wiser than me. I, I, I love right, that he actually praises God by saying, you're inscrutable. Right? Sometimes, I've been married 27 years, and sometimes, you know, my wife and I agree on many things. Right? Sometimes we finish each other's sentences, but every once in a while she'll say something, or there'll be a, a way she's thinking about something, and I'll think, what? Like, 
how can I know you so well? And you, they're like, I don't get that. Like, how are you thinking about that, right? I mean, I don't think I'm the only one, right? And I'm not saying it's romantic to say, you know, to your wife, I don't get you. Uh, but actually what I'm saying in that is, well, there are depths to you. You are a person made in the image of God. Of course there are depths, right? And after 27 years, there's still more ways I can get to know you. Praise God, right? And if that's true of our friends and those we're in relationship with, how much more is it true of God? is the creator and we are the created. And so again, sometimes we may respond with frustration, but again, what we can ultimately respond with is wonder and worship, the depths and the riches of wisdom, right? He quotes from Isaiah again and from Job, who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, right? I mean, God interacts with us. He reveals his ways to us. Praise God, right? He, he gives us this insight into how he's at work, but at the end of the day, we're not his counselor. He's our counselor. We don't tell him what to do. Right? He, he directs us. He calls us to obedience, and we can praise God that that's true. Right? We don't have a God who needs us, right? who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid. He doesn't need us, but that makes it all the more glorious that he loves us, and he calls us into relationship with him, and he has saved us. Tim Keller uh, says this. Um, I know Joel joked last week that I told him no more C.S. Lewis quotes, that we had reached our, our quota, um, but now I'm, I'm giving yet another Tim Keller quote. Um, and so uh, we'll probably reach our quota there soon, but many of you may be familiar with Tim Keller, uh, uh, a wise um, pastor, um, teacher, uh, who um, died um, earlier uh, this year. But he says this. He says, only if your God can outrage and challenge you will you know that you worship the real God and not a figment of your imagination. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. It's just so true. Right? We want a God. We should want a God. We praise a God who is so different from us. And yet again, has called us into relationship with him, who's present with us. But he's not an idealized version of ourselves. Sometimes we don't get him because he's God. Just a note, that final verse, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. For those of you that are, are regulars um, here, you may say, that sounds familiar, right? I mean, that's the, the end of our communion liturgy. If you look at verse 13 there, near the top of verse 13. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Right? The, much of the language of liturgy comes from Scripture, right? I believe, I assume that's where that inspired that. Right? We end our communion by remembering all things are to your glory. And how do we respond Amen, right? And just so you know, that bold, all caps bold, that means you can be loud there. It's all right, right? That's a big amen because we are saying amen. All things are for the glory of the Lord. Praise God. As we live in wonder, in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the not yet, as we step back to wonder and to just glory God, glorify God and to celebrate that his ways are unsearchable, that he is unscrutable, and yet we can know him, that puts us in a place of humility. And this passage begins, lest you be wise in your own eyes. Right, be careful. Right, seek wisdom. Seek to grow in wisdom, but never start to think that you are wiser than God. Right, and that's, again, a great place to be. Let's pray for that. Lord, we just thank you. We praise you. It's so good to be together, to praise you together, to set our eyes on you as we've already sung songs praising you, as we look forward to singing more. Lord, may we rejoice. May we wonder at who you are. And Lord, we would just ask, and I ask in particular for those who on this day are perhaps struggling to live in hope, maybe around some relatively small thing, maybe around really huge things. I pray, Lord, that you would give them hope. 
and give them wonder. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please, Tan. Turn with me to page 9.